You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, um, good to see you all again. Happy Mother's Day. We're going to keep saying that. I want to do something a little bit um, different today. If you don't know me, my name is Justin, uh, pastor here at One Hope. And um, I'm going to ask you if you're a mother. I'm just going to put you on the spot, and all you have to do is stand up. And what we're going to do is I just want to celebrate motherhood for a moment, okay? So I'm going to ask the mom to kind of stand up just by stages. And then after that, I want us to just cheer them on like your team just won the Super Bowl, Okay. So, let me just say, if you're a mother of young kids under 10, why don't you go ahead and stand up so we know who you are. Under 10 years old. If you have kids under 10, go ahead and stand up. All right, good. Now, if you have kids under 20, go ahead and stand up if you're a mother of kids under 20. Okay, this just help us to kind of orient and know who's here. Okay, now, if you have any kids at all, if you're a mother, go ahead and stand up. All right, on the count of three, I just want us to cheer, and they're listening online, so the podcast, we want to hear that for the moms that couldn't be here, like my wife, who uh, is home with some sick kids today. Okay, on the count of three, let's just cheer for these moms, okay? One, two, three. Yeah! Woo! All right. Pretty good. You can be seated. Now, here's what I want you to know. In heaven, mothers... God the Father and the angels are cheering you on. Every little mundane moment of instruction and frustration with your kid, God sees it, and he's celebrating your faithfulness. And we lose that in our culture because it's all about you know, the big, the fast, the successful things, but you need to know that God sees every moment you're mothering, and he delights in you, and he sees you. And so he's keeping track. He knows, okay? So I just want you to be encouraged that sometimes as a mom, especially with young kids, you're like losing your mind. You feel alone. You don't think anybody really knows what it's like. Your husband doesn't really know what it's like, and he comes home. I mean, I last about four or five uh, minutes with my kids, and I'm like, help. I need help, okay? So I just want to honor you, okay? So thank you for standing up. Now, I also, as Jill mentioned, we know that um, we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world, and some of us, we want to be mothers, but we've not been able to. And so I'm going to ask you guys just to um, close your... I'm going I'm to pray. What I want to do is pray for those who are... Maybe you're struggling with infertility. Maybe um, you desire to be married, but you're not married yet. And uh, maybe there's some other things. Or maybe there's someone you know. Maybe there's not someone here. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if this is you or if it's someone you know, if you could just real quick, go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head. If you could just raise your hand real quick just so I know if you're here or if you know someone. Just real quick. Okay, and then uh, you can put them down, and I'm just going to pray for those people right now, okay? So would you just pray with me in your heart? Father, we thank you for who you are, and we just acknowledge the struggle of your goodness when we, when we aren't able to get something that we really want. In fact, we think that you've put that desire in our hearts, in some of these uh, women's hearts to be mothers, and for whatever reasons, uh, it's not happening. And so we want to acknowledge that pain, Lord. We want to bring it to you. And the first thing we want to do, lot, God, is just talk to you about it. And as a church, we want to come alongside, and God, we want to ask you to do miracles. We want to ask you to open up wombs, Lord. If you would, it would be, if you would be so pleased to grant some of these mothers, some of these couples struggling with infertility, God, we ask that you would heal what needs to be healed. And Father, we also ask 
that if the answer is no, that you would give your unsurpassing peace to these women and to these fathers. We pray for peace, Lord, that they would know that you love them, that you are with them, that their identity is not attached to being able to conceive a child. And so, God, would you just pour your love upon them right now, those even outside of this room? And, God, for those who are desiring to be mothers someday or desiring a spouse, Lord, I pray you would allow them to be in the season they're in, allow them to enjoy it, and, God, would you give them just patience and peace as they wait? And would you provide that husband, that spouse, and your timing, Lord? Continue to prepare their hearts, prepare their husbands' hearts for your timing, and allow them just to walk out in faithfulness. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus and by your spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so when we celebrate, I want to pray. One more thing I do want to pray for, because we believe in the power of prayer. Amen? Uh, We think God will move. God moves. He's delighted. He wants to hear our prayers. And so again, we live in a broken world. And um, what I want to pray for next is just for broken relationships with your mother. Maybe that's your mother. Maybe you're a mother and you have struggles with your children. And so I want to, in a moment, I'm just going to pray that God would begin to move in and begin to heal those relationships. And that may mean that you, God may need to speak to you, and you may need to take that step and make that phone call or send that text. Or you may just need to persevere in prayer that God's going to move in your mother's heart or your child's heart. Okay, so we're going to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to move and to begin to heal some of these broken relationships. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you bow your heads one more time with me, uh, maybe, that's your, maybe that's a friend you know. Let's just lift up our prayers to, to God again and ask him to move. So let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is um, nothing beyond your power to heal, nothing beyond your power to uh, repair. And so, God, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict. John 16 says that you come to convict the world, Lord. And we know it's the Holy Spirit because conviction brings a level of peace and joy with it not condemnation. So God, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move now and begin to heal what was broken, begin to restore what was lost, that you would move your people to take the step, a step that's necessary. If that's in their court, Lord, that you would empower them and just put on their hearts right now what that might be, as they maybe have a conversation with their mom today or their children today. God, would you begin a healing work and maybe be able to come back in the days and weeks and months and testify to what you began to do because we sought you in prayer. And so, God, I pray that you would move now and show yourself good and powerful. And we lift all this up to you, Lord. We pray it in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. All right, thank you for praying with me. Here's what I want to do today. I've just called this, this talk, Becoming Spiritual Fathers and Mothers. And so in light of Mother's Day, in light of the importance of parenting and mothering, I want to talk about what does this mean for the church. And I want to look at a particular text, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, and that's going to kind of launch us off into this idea of what do we mean by spiritual fathers and mothers. And so I just have three basic things I want to talk about today, and here they are. Number one, that the church is a spiritual family. We see this language in Scripture, and it's important to reflect on what that means. Uh, Number two, then, if we understand that the church is a spiritual family, how do we understand then discipleship in that context? How do we understand spiritual generations? And then number three, we'll look at, well, then what does it mean? What does it look like to become a spiritual father and a spiritual mother? So I want to read 1 Corinthians 14 here, um, and then we'll we'll look at this text. So here's what we 
Read. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Now, let me just say a word about Paul and the Corinthians. Paul was very close to the Corinthian church. He planted the church. He spent a number of months there, even years there. And um, if you read the letters, Paul had quite a bit to say. These are some of the longest letters we have in the New Testament, right? If you read 2 Corinthians, of all the letters in the New Testament, it's the most personal. So Paul had a very personal relationship with the Corinthian church. He, he gave his heart to them, and he knew them. And so um, in 1 Corinthians here, there's actually, if you uh, read the commentaries, there's believed to be at least four letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is the first, and then there's a missing letter, and then, uh, or maybe there's two. You know what? I don't remember the order, so I'm not even going to try to, but there is four, and we have two of them. Um, but in 1 Corinthians, uh, what's happening right before this, uh, Paul opens up the letter, and he's just gushing over them. He's praying over them. He's so proud of them. He says, I love you. But as you read 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of messed up stuff in there, right? I mean, these guys are going crazy with the spiritual gifts. They're getting all hyper-charismatic and weird things are happening. I mean, there's uh, sin going on sexually within the church. There's all kinds of division and factions. There's food being offered to idols. There's just all kinds of mess. And this is what Paul is writing to them. And it's very important, his tone as he writes to them. And this is what I want to point out, because he's, about, he's just been talking about all that. And now he makes his point here. So let's pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Okay, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but rather to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, here's what I really want us to, to focus is the language here is why this is important. Notice what he says, my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ... You don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, why is that important? Why is Paul using this language? It's highly relational language, right? Now, what is he saying? You have many guides. Now, the word there is pedagogue. Is anybody familiar with that word pedagogue? It's, it's like a guardian. It's like a teacher. It's the same word that Paul uses when he's saying the law was your pedagogue. It was your guardian until Christ came. It's that same language. So Paul's saying, look, you've had many guides, many people to tell you what to do and what not to do, but you don't have many fathers. So he wants us to understand the nature of the church. Okay, the church is not just um, a, a machine that we're all cogs in to pump out more disciples. The church is not just a business, although there are business aspects to the church. And the church uh, isn't just a school. You don't just come here and learn things. But there's a relationship. You enter into a spiritual relationship. And so that's why this language is so important. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm correcting you. I'm admonishing you. I'm not doing it to shame you. And so often when we read the Bible or, or we're convicted of sin, we feel shame, right? But the Holy Spirit's not shaming us. The Holy Spirit's loving us as the Father loves us. Because he wants us to experience life. He wants us to come to repentance. He wants us to come home. And so we see this modeled in Paul. He says, I was your spiritual father. I wasn't just your teacher. I wasn't just an evangelist. I became your father in the gospel. And so this language indicates that the church is a spiritual family. Now, the reality is this is rooted in the Trinity, right? How does God reveal himself? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Inherent to the very existence of the Godhead is familial relationships. God revealed himself as Father, and uh, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to negate uh, the importance of motherhood. You know, we are on Mother's Day, uh, because Jesus, you know, for example, in Matthew 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. 
And so we see both of these, fatherhood and motherhood, reflected in who God is. God chooses to reveal himself as father. But the point is that there is familiar relationships here. So let's just reflect for a moment. What does that mean? What, why are familiar relationships so different from friendships and other things, right? Think about your blood relatives. Okay, what's significant about this? You share certain things, right? You have the same blood running through your veins. You have the same genetics. You take on the same looks, some of the same mannerisms, right? We try so hard not to become our parents, but it's a little bit unavoidable. We, we are in their likeness, right? We are in their image, in a sense. And so this is the significance of this language. In familiar relationships, you know, my son takes on some of my attributes, the mannerisms, the personality, the second thing we see is there is an eternal bond formed here, right? You can't unbecome someone's father or mother. You can't unbecome someone's brother or sister. When you're born into a family, in some sense, that's an eternal relationship, right? My father will always be my father. Even in heaven, I don't know what that's going to look like, but that relationship existed on earth. So you're born in kind of an eternal uh, bond here. Now, my dad used to say, excuse me for this one, dad joke. He always used to say, hey, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. So you're kind of stuck with your family. And there's something important about that, right? Because uh, no matter how broken or how messed up your family might get, there's always that relationship. There's always that yearning for a restoration that's different from any other relationship. So this is important. And the third thing is this. How do you create a family? Now, I don't mean any disrespect or irreverency at all towards God, but what do you need? You need intimacy, right? In order to have children, you need to have intimacy. You need to have close, passionate relationships. This is what it takes to have children, physical children, biological children. And so what we see as we think about spiritual family is generations or spiritual children come through intimacy, namely intimacy with God the Father, as we develop our relationship with him and we want to share this relationship with others, new disciples, new creations are made as people are born again. And so these are some of the things we see as we think about family relationships. Now, of course, theologically, what happens in Christ? We become part of the family of God, right? In Christ, when we believe we're united to him, we become sons and daughters of God. We are invited into the family. This is what the Spirit says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're what? That we're sons of God. We're included in the family of God. Now, why is that so important? Well, this is the core of the, the gospel, right? To be included into the family, we see these three things happening. We, we, we are becoming like Jesus. We're sharing his likeness. We're becoming like God, just like you become like your, your sons and daughters become like you. you, are, uh, you there's an eternal bond that's created. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ for eternity. Okay, we call that perseverance of the saints if you want to get theological. Okay, I hold to that. I think if you uh, earnestly have believed in Jesus, you will always be with Jesus. And so there's this eternal bond. Forever, we're going to be in the family of God. And thirdly, that there's this intimacy. There's this relationship with God that we can now begin to enjoy. I mean, imagine if you got married and that was the end of it. Like sometimes we treat Christianity like that, right? Evangelism, conversion, I became a believer. Awesome. God, I'll see you in heaven. What if your marriage was like that? Hey, well, we got married. We exchanged rings. I'll see you in heaven. I want to go do my own thing. Right? Isn't that how we treat God sometimes? See, when we come to faith, a new creation, a new relationship is built. 
and now we get to enjoy that relationship. I mean, you guys know that God gives us marriage as a picture of Christ in the church. Okay, so don't, I don't want to take that analogy too far, but that's what he says in Ephesians 5. Husband and wife are a picture of Christ in the church, which means we get to enjoy a relationship there. We get to enjoy intimacy with God, with Jesus. And that's what changes us. And of course, this was the problem, okay? Jesus had to come to bring us back into the family of God, right? What separated us from God? So again, God didn't run away from us. We ran away from God. That We call that sin. We put so many other things in front of God, and we run away from God. We're doing our own thing. We're sinning in all kinds of different ways. But God so loved us. He so wanted his kids back that he sent Jesus to pay the price for sin, to bridge the gap, to pay the debt, to allow us to once again come into the family of God. He dies for our sins, and he rises to give us a new heart, a new creation, a new life. So that what? So that we could be in the family of God, and we can enjoy intimacy and relationship with God, right? So we are a spiritual family. You and I are a spiritual family. And so it's in the context of this spiritual family then we talk about how then do we grow? We call that discipleship. How do we grow to become more like Jesus in that likeness based on that eternal bond and based on that intimacy with God? So let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians because we're going to see uh, the same, some of the same language here. And I want to make a point here. He says, I urge you, Corinthians, be imitators of me. This is why I sent to you Timothy. Look what he says. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Look at how Paul's talking about his spiritual child, his disciple, Timothy. My beloved and faithful child. Now, this is the pattern we see in the New Testament. If we look ahead to uh, 2 Timothy, you probably know this verse, but this forms so much of what we want to see uh, when we talk about spiritual generations in the church. Here's Paul writing his letter to Timothy, and he says some of the same things, right? You then, Timothy, my child, that affection, that relationship, that care, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. Here we see this multi-generational discipleship happening. And it's a pattern that Jesus laid down, right? So let me just point these out to you. Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, what you have heard from me, okay, that's, that's first generation. That's Paul. In the presence of many witnesses and trust to other faithful men, too, who will be able to teach others also. Oh, Timothy's in there. Sorry. You. Let's just call that, okay? Paul, Timothy, other men who will be able to teach other men. This is the pattern of discipleship, spiritual generations that we see. And this is what we want to begin to, to move into uh, more um, specifically as a church. What does this look like to generate and live out generational discipleship? So let me just share one historical example with you, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, I don't know how many of these names you've heard, but certainly you've heard the Apostle John, right? Everybody heard Apostle John? Okay, we're good with that. Anybody heard of Ignatius? Okay. Anybody heard of uh, Polycarp? Yeah, got some. all right, great. Anybody heard of Irenaeus? Okay, how about this one? Uh, Hippolytus? No, me. I just heard about him today, so you're okay. Now, what's interesting about these names, these are major church leaders in the first 250 years of the church. Actually, first 200 years of the church, to about 237 A.D. when Hippolytus died. What's significant about this? Jesus discipled John. John discipled 
Ignatius. Ignatius discipled Polycarp. Polycarp discipled Irenaeus. Irenaeus discipled Hippolytus, whatever his name is. <laughs> that last guy that nobody knows. Every one of these people played a significant role in church history. The first two were bishops, one at Smyrna, one at Antioch. Um, most of them died martyrs' death. Irenaeus wrote numerous things. And most of these guys wrote against heresies of their day. Irenaeus is a well-known guy. He wrote a book called Against Heresies, Combating um, False Doctrine. Hey, Hippolytus was a Roman uh, a leader, elder, and a theologian. So my point is we see this happening from the very circles of Jesus on down through the first century. This is just one example. We just happen to know who these guys were. But this is the kind of thing that we want to move into uh, as a church. What does it look like to have generational discipleship? How can we move towards that understanding that we're first and foremost a spiritual family? Okay, I want to say it again. We're not just a business. We're not just a machine where everyone's a cog to pump out new disciples. We're not just a school for you to come and learn things. We're come to apply them to our life and pass them on to others as we see in 2 Timothy 2. 2. So let me show you uh, a wonderful graphic that I did not make. I stole from discipleship.org, so credit where credit is due. You can see it there. But let's just talk through this, because this is a helpful way to think about discipleship in the church. What does this look like? And we'll just talk very quickly through this. Obviously, first off, every one of us is spiritually dead, okay? We need to meet Jesus. We need to be born again, Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then we meet Jesus, and we are born again. John 3, 3 to 8, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and you have to be born again. And that means that when we're born again, we are spiritual infants. Okay? Now, literally, think about biologically your families, because there's parallels here as we understand discipleship. A spiritual infant needs a lot of guidance, needs a lot of things. And so we have to think about how do, we, how do we then help grow and mature that infant up into a spiritual child. Okay, Galatians 4.19. Um, Paul's pleading with the Galatians. He says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just in anguish until Christ is formed in you. And so when we get to this stage, we tend to be just self-focused. Christianity is just really about me and what God can do for me and how I can live and how I can benefit. And I think a lot of American Christianity is, is kind of self-focused. What about me? How, what can I get out of a church service? What can a church do for me? And so we've got to continue to, to be matured and discipled up into this, what we'll call spiritual young adult. And here's where you begin to make a shift to be kingdom focused. You begin to realize, well, this isn't actually all about me. There's a greater plan here. There's a greater thing at stake. And it's not just knowing that. You begin to live in such a way that you're focused on the kingdom. How can I serve the community? How can I pour into others? How can I serve the church, not just get from the church? And as we continue to grow, then we become a spiritual parent, which means we've now begun to make other disciples. And we're discipling them from these stages on up. 1 Corinthians 4.15, the very text we're in. And then as you continue, as your children then make disciples, now we've got spiritual grandparents. And so I just want us to have this kind of framework as we think about, how do we think about discipleship in the church? And what do you know about growing a child and maturing a child? Does it happen in a week? No. It takes a long time. There's lots of failures and successes, but you stick with it because you're family. I mean, I think parenting is probably the purest form of discipleship we have. Because you are with your children all the time, and they see everything you're doing, right? Parents, they repeat things. You're like, do I say that? Yeah, you said that. I'm sorry I said that. And you got to tell them, don't say that, okay? 
Um, parents, and again, I just I want to honor parents and mothers in particular. It's the pure, I think it's the purest form of discipleship. I mean, how did Jesus disciple the 12? Right? He spent a lot of time with them. He instructed them. He rebuked them. It was almost like he was a parent. He sent them out. He said, hey, go try this and come back and we'll talk about it. And he sent them out again. He prepared them for his departure, right? Isn't that what parents that we're supposed to be doing with our kids is preparing them to live in the world without us, where they don't need us to do everything for them. And as hard as that is, and some of you know because your children have left home, there's a grieving that takes place there, but there's also some pride of like, man, I'm so excited. My, my, my child's an adult. They're living on their own. That's what we want. That's what God is doing with us. That's what people that are discipling us, preparing us to disciple others, who will then disciple others, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. So um, it takes time. And the second thing, again, just think about family, right? This is relationally focused, okay? We've got to get away from this model of discipleship. That just I'm going to teach you some things about the Bible, and then I'm going to move on. Okay, that is a part of discipleship. But that's not just what Jesus did. As we just said, Jesus did much more than just teach people things. He modeled them. He empowered them. He supervised them. He delegated to them. And he sent them out. And they failed miserably. And they came back to him and he, he said, it's okay. I've, I've covered it. I've paid for it. It's relationally focused. I think as we think about the future of the church, think about the future of our church, I've always probably thought this, but really the best way, I think, to make disciples, to, to convert people to Jesus is through relationships. And even if people come to church and hear a message and give their life to Jesus, they, we still want them to be in relationships to grow, right? I mean, this is kind of the bread and butter of the church. It always has been because we serve and we love a relational God. And the, the beautiful thing about relationships is we all have them. Everyone of us have relationships. So how might God want to use those for us to help show people the love of God? Which, again, is the purpose of it all, the purpose of the gospel here, to make disciples, spiritual generations, okay? So, again, we see this. Uh, this is the natural progression of the gospel. We see it in Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy and Titus and other places. We see it, you know, um, in Titus 2, Paul talking about older women, discipling younger women. This is just the pattern I think we see in the New Testament. So you say, okay, that's great. Well, how do we... How do we get there? How do we grow into that? And what I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to actually give you uh, the, the great opportunity to fill out a survey real quick right here. And the first thing we have to do is acknowledge where we're at on this chart. Where would you place yourself, to be honest with yourself? We're never going to be able to, to move forward or to grow deeper with God if we don't acknowledge where we're at right now, right? So think about, again, I'll, I'll give you a link here in a moment. Where are you at on this? And then what does it look like to move into an intentional spiritual family? Whether it's a community group, a home group, whatever you want to call it. How to be in getting around other people and doing life together with relationships. Okay? Again, we're thinking about these, these three things. Let me see if I can put them up here again. Because I think this is informative when we think about how are we growing more like Jesus? How's our intimacy with Jesus? Are we growing in our time with Jesus? Now, it's not just like quiet time. i got to read my Bible because that's what the pastor said. I need to read my Bible and make me a good Christian. You've totally missed it. Like, think again about what if you never talked to your wife or your husband? You never spent time together. Would your relationship grow? Would your intimacy grow? Well, no, of course it wouldn't. See, God's a person. And so we have, to, we have to believe that. And we have to take that time all throughout the day. I mean, it doesn't have to be like a super long time. It can be. 
but it can be moments throughout the day where you're just talking to God the Father, you're talking to Jesus, you're talking to the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you how many times, like in my parenting, I just got to pause because the rage comes up and I'm just, I'm just so angry and I just got to take a breath and say, okay, let me take a breath. Let me just sit down. And, I, and I'll, just, I will, I'll just pray, Holy Spirit, what in the world do I say to this? And something will pop into my head. And I'll share it. Like, do you know, like, God will do that for you? If we will just stop long enough and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me in this? Like, that's what he's promised to us, right? The Holy Spirit's called our teacher. He's going to teach us things. And so my heart for you, my heart for myself, is to grow in this reality of intimacy with God, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are with you all throughout the day. The Word of God is with you all throughout the day. And we just treat it like that, that wedding day. Okay, we got married. I'll see you in heaven. But there's so much more. We don't realize that we're missing so much more. I mean, there is no more interesting person in the whole world than Jesus. We will never get to the end of marveling at the beauty and the greatness and the majesty of Jesus. So let's just start doing that now and watch what he does. Watch what he does in your life. Okay. Uh, acknowledge where you're at. Let's get into his intentional spiritual family. Let's uh, focus on intimacy uh, with God. And then just know the pathway. Know what this looks like and start walking it out. And don't give in. Let's not give in to this kind of fast food Christianity. This is hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year that we're growing. We're growing. So you look back into five years ago, wow, I stuck with it. Look how much I've changed. And we know this in our kids, right? You don't stare at your kid and go, is he growing? Honey, do you think he's growing? Right? You won't see any growth. But a year later, you go, wow, look how much, how much taller they are. I mean, my two-year-old is like saying words now, and, and he'll say these words, and we're trying to like figure out what is he saying. And he's just pointing, and he's saying blue. What, what do you mean blue? There's nothing blue. We don't know what that means, but he knows what he means. Anyways, small kids. I don't know why I was talking about that. Oh, stick with it. Day by day, week by week, year by year, stick with it. And over time, you will see what God is doing. All right, so I want to show you this. You can go uh, to onehope.info. I really want you to do this right now. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Um, Let me go here. See if you can scan that. You can go to onehope.info. It's under uh, Worship Gathering Resources. There's a link there for this survey, okay? Um, Or you can go to the Church Center app. So just take, there's like three questions. Basically, what's your name? Where would you put yourself on this? Are you interested in... Um, being connected to a spiritual family with a spiritual mother or father? Are you feeling called to be a spiritual father or mother yourself? And I think some of us in here are. Some of us in here are equipped and we're ready to do that. And there's people that can really benefit from you saying, yes, let me step into that. Let me step into what does that mean to to be a spiritual parent of someone? Let me disciple someone long. So I'm going to just give you a a moment to do this. And then I'm going to share just a story with you from One Hope. So we'll give you a moment to do that. Again, you can go to Church Center um, app or onehope.info under Worship Gathering. You can find the link there too. And then Ben and Andrew, why don't you guys go ahead and come up here as we're finishing that. And I'm going to ask you to share. Oh, you got it already. So maybe just another minute. I don't know. Do you want to test test? Do you want to 
know why that thing's cracking for some reason. This one is? Yeah. No worries. I don't think it's you. I would like to be as tall as you. Okay, good. All right. You got me. Actually, let me have you over here. All right. Well, I'll let you finish that up. I brought these two guys up here because um, we've seen a little bit of this at One Hope over the years. A little bit. We want to see more. And obviously, there's reasons for that. Uh, but I wanted to share just personally that we've seen uh, multi-generational discipleship happening. And this really began a few years ago. And we had a couple different iterations. A couple uh, Last year or the year before that, we actually had, I think, six or seven discipleship groups running. And, and the intentions was that they were going to, to multiply that out. And so the way this started was, Ben, uh, two years ago, right? I said, you're, you're going to join me in a discipleship group. I don't remember if I asked you. Um, and it was you, and we had two other guys there. And we spent a whole year just going through some books, praying, uh, sharing our spiritual lives, reading the Word together, and just being, just being together for a year. I think it was every other week, maybe every week. I can't remember. And so we did that for the year. And I said at the beginning, the purpose of this is that you're going to go do this with other people. And so when you start that group, you're going to tell them that the purpose of this is that you're going to go do this with other people. So we, 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 uh, we put right into the DNA of the group that this, this will end in multiplication. That's the pattern we see. Um, and of course, there's not 100% multiplication, but we want to have that goal and, and go from there. So, so Ben, we spent a year together, and then um, you can share a little bit what that was like for you, and then you started a group, and then Andrew's been in your group for how long? Uh, probably a year and a half. About. Oh, wow. How's it going? Wow. That's great. It's flying by. So I want you to just share a little bit about your experience, and then you can transition to what it's been like to lead a group. And then Andrew would love to hear what that's been like for you. And I'll shut up. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my experience being in Justin's discipleship group was uh, it was really great to just be like all walking together, and like there's there was a level of, of intimacy that I hadn't had with other with other like men in the same life stage and like learning these things together. And Justin was a really great mentor at like helping us deal with our stories and kind of grow in, in maturity in different ways. Um, and that I, during that season, I think is when I started having like some of the sweetest time with Jesus in my own walk, you know, and, and being able to see because of Justin, you know, relying so much, on Jesus, then that helped me to do it more, encouraged me in that way. Um, and I think, you know, prepared me to be a subject group leader. I had led other groups before, um, but it was kind of a different, it's a different level of like being with other people and like really talking about, you know, your, your stuff and, and relying on Jesus together. Um, and it's been really sweet. And I'll say, even though I'm the leader, it does feel like it is there's, you know, you're, they're your brothers and sisters, too, where, you know, yeah, we learn together and grow together and teach each other things. So, anyways, what do you think? Um, well, I, I had a period of time where I wasn't involved in a group, uh, just with my work and things like that. So, I was kind of, like, looking around for uh, what was going on in groups, and, and he had a group going on that was just starting, and it was a discipleship group. Um, and I was willing to be part of any group, really. So uh, they were willing to work with my schedule, and it was awesome. And uh, he did tell us early on that it was going to be um, a discipleship-making group, um, which is fine with me. Um, I, had, I had also led a, a community group at one point. We really enjoyed that. Um, and so this has just been, it's been a really good time. Um, it's challenging sometimes to, to make it work 
Um, sometimes we have to be flexible with uh, mm-hmm. time constraints with the family. Um, with if somebody can't do this day, we try to do it another day. Um, so that's been a challenging part, but it's also been a rewarding part, just being able to be flexible together. And uh, I would say it, it helps. Uh, it helps show that other people are taking it seriously. Um, and so it's really cool seeing the involvement of the guys and um, how they're willing to work with one another's schedules, um, being real with each other. Uh, and uh, it's also like pushing us through these books. Um, and I'm not an avid reader, I like listening. So uh, it, it's, it's cool because it's forcing me to read something and keep up with uh, the chapters. And uh, so yeah, we've really enjoyed it. Awesome, well thanks guys for sharing. I'll take that. We thank them. So I don't share that to say, oh, good, 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 look what I did. But just to say that this process does work, it takes years to, to see the fruit of it. And so we've got to be willing to take those steps. And, and what we've seen, great, I mean, you guys know next week we're going to vote on Ben here to be an elder candidate. And a lot of that is the fruit of time spent being discipled and seeing him share, shepherding and caring for others. And that's really what we look for as an elder team, who's already shepherd who's already acting like an elder and, and shepherding and caring people. And so, um, so that's kind of a natural progression that he's now going to be hopefully stepping into um, eldership next week. So come out and vote for that. Um, now, only one more thing I want to say here, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, this is kind of one shade of discipleship, but I really want us to begin to think and dream and take this to the next level because what we, we don't just want to mature disciples. We do want to do that. We want to make new disciples, and we want to multiply disciples. And so then kind of the next level, the next step that I want us to take as a church is what does that actually mean for us to, to take people from spiritually dead to spiritual infants, and then take them from spiritual infants to kids, and begin from that, from kind of ground zero. Because that's, I'm going to keep saying this, that's what we're here to do. You and I are here because there are many people out there that don't know the love of God. They don't know Jesus. And eternity matters, and it's a long time. And when we get there, we won't regret any time spent doing the will of God, right? And so we've got to keep that perspective in front of us. I've got to keep it in front of me every day. So if you read the New Testament, especially, actually, it's all over the Bible, they're always talking about the day of the Lord. They're always talking about when that day comes, because it's going to be the most important day of your life. Well, maybe second most important. Most important being you said yes to Jesus. Second most important being, wow, I get to spend forever with him. And this is far better than I could have ever imagined. And so we believe that, begin to believe that, meditate on that. It will motivate and compel us to talk to that neighbor, coworker, to wait for that conversation, to pray for it, to have courage and share the gospel with someone. Invite them into your home. Invite them into a relationship. This takes time. This takes years. Anybody know Rosaria Butterfield? Everybody heard that name? She was a um, staunch, like, uh, feminist professor at some, like, uh, Ivy League school, right, non-believer. And um, she was invited into the home of a local pastor. And they just invited her over for dinner every week. And I think I heard this week, don't quote me, don't fact check me on this. I think it was over 500 hours together before she said yes to Jesus. 500 hours around their dinner table with a non-believer who was against Christianity. This takes time. And so we've got to have that long-range view. I do too. This takes 
weeks, months, years, but we stick with it together, encouraging one another, right? Hebrews 10, for love and good works. And God will answer. We will see the harvest. All right? All right. Well, thank you for filling that survey out if you did. If not, um, please fill it out. Let me uh, pray for, our, uh, for us, and I'll invite the worship team back up here. So I'm going to do a song, and then we'll come back. We'll do communion. I'll do a couple more songs, and then we'll close out with some announcements. So if you would pray with me now. Father, thank you for, the, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the power of multi-generational discipleship, that, that, that this works, not because we're good at it, not because we even know what to do, but because first and foremost, we're coming to you and we're asking you, Lord, we want to be about your business. We want to have your heart. We want to see people the way you see them. We want to feel about people the way you feel about them. Give us your heart, God, because if we have your heart, these things will begin to unfold with greater ease as we begin to see things the way you do. And so, God, I'm asking that you would move in the hearts of One Hope Church right now, those here, those who will listen in the future. God, Holy Spirit, would you stir us? Would you change us? Would you ignite this fire to be about your business, to see that eternity really matters? What we do really, really matters. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask even now as we continue to worship and reflect on um, communion, Lord, that you would minister to us and speak to us. Call us to more. Get us excited about your business. God, we love you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com. 